Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Westward in the house with master distiller Christian Krogstad. We tried their base expression, which is in the craft distilling world, kind of a new category, American Single Malt. We tried their American Single Malt, which is now about to be released in Southern California, finished in a stout cask. And then the launch of our collaborative single barrel that we put down seven years ago. Finally, it's ready. seems like an eternity. (laughs) Well, we made it to tonight. We tried the seven grand Westward Collaborative American Two Malt. Beautiful whiskey. Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means be grateful and don't tell everybody you know more than they do. Yeah. Stay humble, friends. Cheers, Christian. Thanks for coming out tonight, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers, Oregon. Cheers. <laughs> Woo! All right. All right. Somebody had some coffee, huh? What the hell, boss? Oh, coming out of the gate. Whoa! Bucket. <laughs> My goodness, that was some exciting slow clap. All right. Yeah. I'm excited. Are you Did excited? Did I speed it up? No. No, no, I think okay. it was someone just, over here. It's collective. Someone over here was a little faster than slow clap. Slow clap's supposed to be a build, but I'm oh. not going to get into that. It's all right, baby. We got so much going on. I have on. so much to learn from you. It's no, it's all right. It's, it's, uh, it's a focus exercise. I'm kidding. Uh, welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. We all doing all right tonight, yeah? <laughs> it's a special night that I, it's so funny because when we made this whiskey together years ago, I was just starting to lead the, the Whiskey Society. I just started kind of hosting the events and Brooke had just gotten hired, right? It was your first week. And kind of, this was all this new realm, like, we'll, we'll reveal the whole story, yeah. but we got to give it up for Mr. Christian Krogstad yeah. from Westward Whiskey. A lot has happened since we made this batch of whiskey. Yeah, we, um, or we, since we first met. So yeah, we're old friends yeah, now. Yeah, this I is great. So. <laughs> but uh, Christian, uh, you started off what was, used to be called House Spirits Distillery up in Portland, Oregon. Huh? And uh, probably at that time, you guys had started Aviation Gin. Yep. And that was kind of like what you were selling a ton of at the yeah, time yeah, and yeah, still yeah, yeah. make a I ton. Mean, we're still making a lot still of it. We're still making it. And, for Ryan, uh, for Mr. Reynolds. <laughs> for Mr. Reynolds. Deadpool, he smells like yeah. gin. He does. <laughs> it's, a, it's a comic book joke, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> they clapped really fast, but other than that, we're a little. You just need to get so, some liquor Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Don't worry, my friend. We will definitely take care of that. But to, to give a little history of the brand, well, how did you guys get started? And, and give it a little bit of your sure. personal yeah. background. Because sure. you have a family sure. tradition sure. in distillation. Or? Well, I mean, I have a personal history <laughs> in distillation. Um, so I started House Spirits Distillery in 2004. Uh, but... Uh, before that, I had been a brewer. So my background, really, what got me started down this, down this path was that, um, well, I grew up in Seattle. Um, and in the you know, late 1970s, this great guy named uh, Charlie Finkel started a, the first like, craft beer importation company from, from uh, Europe. It was called uh, Merchantivan. It's still around. Uh, and he was bringing in all these great, you know, Samuel Smith's ales and, and um, Lindemann's and Leafman's and, and some German beers. And that was the first time, really, that we had had uh, imports in the US uh, in forever, really. And I happened to grow up within maybe half a mile of the first store that had the whole set of them. So I got exposed. I grew up on, you know, American industrial lagers. My, you know, my father always let me have a little little cup of beer when I was a kid, but um, getting into high school, I started seeing all these great beers. And so I would have my older brothers buy me, you know, these really cool imports with the cool labels with distinctive beer in them instead of, you know, Rainier and so forth. So that really got me interested in 
flavors and the history and the brands and so forth. And so then um, uh, when I moved out of the house, uh, graduated high school, 84, I started homebrewing in college and um, really like enjoying that. Didn't have a really successful college career. I dropped out uh, a couple years later, did a variety of odd jobs, and then decided in uh, 1990 that I wanted to be a, uh, a brewer. It was my, my calling, it was my vocation. And so I moved to Portland, which at the time had more breweries than anywhere. I think there were 14 breweries in Portland when I moved there, which is more than anywhere. Now there's like 70 or 80. Um, um, but I moved there to just started knocking on doors, got an apprenticeship right away, and brewed for the next 13 years in Oregon and Washington. Uh, went to brewing school during that time. And then um, my last brewing job, I was managing a microbrewery that, had, that bought a still, a little 60-gallon still. And I was making the beer for the washes. And I got a chance to see what was involved and how you know, how to make malt whiskey. And I had always loved malt whiskey. Uh, you know, every brewer that I know loves malt whiskey because it's just concentrated beer. <laughs> uh, and I saw what was involved and I was like, Shh, I can do that, you know? And so uh, a friend of mine and I um, pooled our resources. I think we came up with about $65,000 from personal savings, uh, home equity loans, credit card debt. And we started House Spirits in 2004. Um, and, you know, obviously $64,000, $65,000 isn't going to go very far in a whiskey distillery. So we, you know, it would cost us about $4,000 because of our scale to fill a barrel. So, um, you know, we'd fill a couple barrels and then go figure out how to make more money. We did contract distilling for other distilleries. We started Krogsta Akovit, which is my family. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you family name. Uh, we started Aviation Gin. Uh, started working on it in 2000, late 2005 or early 2006, and then launched it in 2006. Uh, and that became a, you know, a, a bigger success than, than I thought it would. Uh, and it really kind of distracted me from whiskey for a little while because it was growing and we were really kind of pouring our resources back into growing it. Mm -hmm. But we continued every year to put up you know, 10, 20 barrels of whiskey, uh, but always, you know, a lot of experimenting. This is where we were doing, uh, we, so since we started on a shoestring, we didn't buy all the brewing equipment. We had years in the industry, so we had a lot of friends who had breweries, and so we'd go to our friends' breweries, brew batches of beer. I bought a flatbed, and you remember the yeah. yellow Cedars, uh, French's Cedar fencing truck? That's right. Uh, flat, uh, 1979 Ford F-350 uh, flatbed with Dooley's and overload springs. It's a great truck. I still have it. <laughs> that thing's uh, still just, running? Just, just rebuilt the carburetor. Nice. It's awesome. It's a great truck. <laughs> it is uh, a great truck. But we could haul uh, six, 600 gallons of, of, of wash on that, which is, you know, 4,000 pounds or something like that, 5,000 pounds. And we take it back to the distillery. We'd ferment it there and then distill it. And so that was our process. And you know, I mean, <laughs> Peter can tell you about that. Um, but it worked really well. And, and uh, you know, so meanwhile, we're 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 building, we're growing. Um, and then around uh, 2010, um, a fellow named Tom Mooney came came knocking on the door. He became my partner a, a year later. Uh, brought in uh, a couple investors that allowed us to, you know, put up a lot more whiskey every year. So we went from putting up 10 to 20 barrels a year to putting up 100, 120. Gradually grew the brand. That's about. I mean, I met when, you when, when I met you guys were just starting to want to grow the whiskey yeah. brand as you had some that you could sell. And here in the Seven Grand Whiskey Society, we try to champion craft distilling. And yep. so I was and like, well, my family, I'm from Eugene originally, and uh, my family. That's right, you just came, like, outside you showed of Portland. up one day. Yeah, I was like, like going up stumbled to over the threshold and. Just wanted to come and make some whiskey yeah. with you guys. I was like, well, you guys are in a position where you're still growing, and maybe we could toss some ideas around. So we huh. talked about doing a whiskey together, just crazily enough. We were still growing as a whiskey bar, and even the idea of a single spirit bar was kind of new at the time. When we first opened Seven Grand, people didn't think like the idea of having kind of an exclusive focus 
on a single spirit within a bar was really a viable thing. And we've been very fortunate here to find out that, yeah, there is plenty there of room is. in the market for a good whiskey bar that focuses just on that kind of spirit. Um, but before we get into that, let's, this is the current uh, flagship of the whiskey company. So you guys sold Aviation Gin. Yeah, four to, years ago. Four years ago. So that we could build it. We built a new distillery four years ago, uh, which basically, yeah, I mean, it, it increased our whiskey capacity about tenfold. So we went from filling, I think in our final year at the old distillery, we filled 120 barrels. And our first year at the new distillery, we filled 1,000 barrels. That's huge. And now we're up to 1,200 a year. Um, so it allows us to do some experiments and... But they still make Aviation Gym, but now it's like a private yeah. label. Yeah. They do the making. Ryan yeah. Reynolds and his right. company yeah. actually owns the brand. Yeah. And now your personal kind of big project is just it's making just the whiskey. whiskey. I get a finally, I finally have the whiskey distillery I set out to make 15 years ago. That's right. And in the craft distilling world, that's what you have to do. You have to kind of put one foot in front of the other and just keep on moving. So this is American single malt. So America is most known for bourbon, which is a corn-based whiskey. The majority of the mash bill in bourbon is corn and often uh, a vast majority, 75% yeah. of a really great <laughs> bourbon can be corn. This is not that. I think we were trying to, I was a big lover of rye whiskey. And yeah. one of the things that as Seven Grand first opened, we were champions of rye whiskey. But when we talked about like doing something and with the craft distilling world being so nascent at that time, there was a lot of room for being creative. You could try new there things. Still is. In fact, in fact, and yeah, I think there is more now than ever. Because how are you going to get shelf space with the yeah. Jim Beams and the Heaven Hills and, and the you know, Woodford Reserves and Old Foresters yeah. out there? You have to create something that's very different. Yeah. So what you have in your glass in front of you now is American single malt. So like Irish whiskey, like scotch, there's just malted barley. Japanese. And Japanese whiskey, a lot of the Taiwanese. Taiwanese. In fact, the rest of the world. The rest of the world is other than the United States. Barley. Whiskey means malt whiskey. But here in America, we had corn. It's cheap. It has a lot of high sugar content. It's juicy. Yeah. Uh, all those things. Yeah. It, it creates really. It's easy to make whiskey with it. It's kind of really oily in the still. It, it kind of self cleans the still. But this is not that. This is something that. It's a lot more complex. It's American single malt whiskey, yeah. which is now an emerging, all these years later, yeah. it's an emerging it's category an emerging, in the yeah, whiskey it's world. It's finally something. So uh, what's special about American single malt? Is it, are you guys, I know that in Scotland and Ireland, a lot of times you ask the master distiller, like, what kind of yeast do they use? And they're like, oh, it's just distiller's yeast. We yeah, just right. get it from the yep. whatever grocery store. They don't really, and in America, we're all about the yeast trades. Kentucky, they're all like, this is our maker's mark family, this is the yeah. Samuels family yeast train or whatever. You know, they really covet the yeast. How important is the yeast varietal it's, in your whiskey? It's, it's really, it's probably the most important single factor. So, you know, very, I would say the biggest differentiator between uh, American single malt whiskey and say Scottish single malt is the beer that we make and the focus that we have on the beer. Uh, most of the, I would say, you know, pioneers of the category, us, Stranahan's, uh, St. George Spirits. Mm -hmm. um, Charbet. Charbet, but especially those, uh, I don't know if Charbet was a former brewer, was it? but he came from He comes a little from the okay. ODV, yeah. ODV okay. world. But, so a lot of former brewer, a lot of the first, uh, uh, like with us, a lot of the first uh, American single malt whiskey producers were former brewers who realized that, oh, well, you know, whiskey is just distilled beer, you know? And so we took it to that extreme. And so we continued to make beer, the beer for whiskey, similar to the way we made beer for beer. And so we would tend to uh, do a louder, uh, you know, a, a beer style loudering and sparging. So a single water rather than the three waters like they do in Scotland. So the, the grain never gets exposed to air. Um, we would tend to use, um, uh, brewer's yeast for a couple reasons. One is that we get this much more fruity, uh, nice clean flavor from it. Uh, and it's just what we're used to. It's what we're familiar with. But you get this nice fruity, clean flavor. Uh, but it's not as efficient as distiller's yeast. So the, the yeast that is typically used in, say, Scotland 
is this uh, diastaticus uh, yeast, which is able to um, uh, ferment, it's able to eat much more complex sugars, whereas the ale yeast can only eat very simple sugars. Um, the ale yeast doesn't produce as much alcohol, um, but it produces a lot more of these nice fruity esters that you get this like, what we get on the westward is a lot of like Bartlett pear, a lot of banana. Um, what we don't get is a lot of the solvent flavors like the nail polish remover, the ethyl acetate or acetones, things like that. So that allows us to use less reflux in our stills. We have shorter heads on the stills. So we, uh, so we're, instead of using the stills to clean up um, uh, a harsh beer, we're using the stills to concentrate a delicious beer. Cheers so what's that, that distiller's beer going in at? Uh, uh, 8.2. So let's stick your nose in this glass. Breathe in gently through your mouth. What do you guys think of this American single malt from Westward? Anybody, anybody? We have Brooke Arthur in the house tonight as well, like our local brand ambassador for the company. She's just letting Christian tell the full tale, but she's a very important old friend in this whole story as well. When she first started with the company, she kind of helped make this all come together too, and that was like her very first week when we were uh, making this whiskey. Not this whiskey. That, no, oh, that whiskey, yeah. That, that one, yeah. yeah. Not this whiskey, yes. That was a fun weekend. It was Portland Cocktail Week, I believe. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. So what oh, do you guys right. get on this uh, American single malt? And how is it different from, say, Jameson or maybe Dal Winnie or some single malt scotch that you might be fond of? I'm getting toffee and old books. Nice. <laughs> say again? Hazelnut. Hazelnut, a nuttiness for sure. To be a little ironic, it smells like how chocolate malt balls taste. Yeah. So you get a lot of malt. Exactly, because malt balls are made from malted barley, and because we don't have a lot of reflux in the still, a lot of those heavier congeners come through. A lot of the, the less volatile uh, that would reflux in a typical Scottish still. You know, our, so our, our beer still is 3,100 gallons, but the head on that is only about nine feet tall. And so in Scotland, a uh, you know, 3,100 uh, 3, gallon, you know, 12,000 liter uh, still, could be like still would have like a 30 feet tall, yeah. yeah, much higher. And so the higher the still, the lighter the vapors, the lighter the distillate you get. Um, you, you guys are kind of running a hybrid, so, but let's talk, yeah, go back yeah, to the fermentation right. a little bit. Right. How long a fermentation? To get these it's, complex esters, you're using a, a, <laughs> an ale yeast. Uh, Typically, ale yeast. we're using the Sierra Nevada pale ale yeast. Okay. So it's the, uh, you know, there's various names for it, but it's one of the most, probably the most popular yeast strain for, um, for craft brewers in this country. Uh, it is, um, it uh, provides some really nice fruit flavors. It performs well. It's not, like I said, it's not super efficient in terms of alcohol uh, delivery, but it doesn't produce a lot of off flavors. Um, and uh, it's just really consistent. And, and how so, many we, so we ferment at a fairly cool temperature, about 76 degrees, uh, 76 to 78, depending on. So the yeast is not stressed at that temperature. Exactly. Very so that's, relaxed. That's, so that's, that's the crux of our, is, is we view ourselves as being like, it's like animal husbandry. We're yeast husbands. You know, we're just trying, <laughs> we, we, uh, we clean the tanks really well. We clean and sanitize the tanks so the, the yeast is going into a completely clean, nice new home. It's going in there with this excellent uh, you know, wash or you know wart because we use a lot of brew brewing terms because we're all former brewers so we boil the wart we we boil it to not only to sanitize it to get rid of the bacteria but also to get rid of some of the large uh, proteins because those large proteins can promote bacterial growth um, we uh, don't set the concentration very high the sugar concentration to your question about the, the alcohol content, it only gets up to 8%, which is the Sierra Nevada, the Chico strain, whatever you want to call it, 001 in the White Yeast Labs uh, catalog. Um, it can ferment up to about 9% before it starts stressing out the yeast. Also, it can ferment up to about 80 degrees before it starts stressing out the yeast. 
So we want to give it a nice home, not too hot, not too messy, you know, or you know, not too alcoholic, so that it, it's happy. We want to make a nice, happy home for healthy yeast. And so five days. Five days, long fermentation yeah. then, getting a lot of those fruit characters. But on this, it, there's definitely this nuttiness. I get that toffee note and that chocolate note, like a, a milk chocolate note on the finish. What is the proof on your Westward single malt? No, what's in your glass is 45%. So a 90, 90 proof, proof whiskey. Beautiful stuff. So kind of a burgeoning new uh, category. Here in the bar Jackalope, we have a very highly curated well, as opposed to the front bar at Seven Grand, we've got nearly 800 whiskeys up there, which we have to truncate down to about 200 in the back bar. And so we do that blind with our uh -huh. staff. We do blind tastings for kind of the each category. And Westward has consistently won blind tastings and has a spot here on the shelf currently. I mean, it's challenged every month, but you guys have been up there for years now. And uh, that's, again, a blind blind taste. So it, it awesome. holds its Thank own you. in the world of Fantastic. American single malt, which aren't that many, but still, it's an excellent happy, category. Happy yeast. Um, and this is, how are you finishing? What kind of barrels do you finish in? So that's part of, you know, that's part of our realization from, you know, being in the beer industry uh, was that, you know, really what what people in breweries were trying to do when they first started the craft brewing movement, they were trying to make these European beers. Yeah. Turns out Americans had had a diff had their palates were looking for different things. They wanted cold beer, they wanted carbonated beer. So it was really Sierra Nevada who first articulated American pale ale. Similarly, you know, we're making American single malt, and and through you know. 200 years of bourbon and, and rye whiskey in this country and using new barrels, or 150 years, I guess. Uh, we, uh, you know, American, the American palate has really acquired a taste for the sweet new barrel. So, uh, but whereas, uh, uh, you know, a bourbon, the corn spirit is fairly light. It doesn't have the body that you get, for, especially a column distilled corn spirit is a lighter, like lighter texture, lighter flavor. So the, the spirit is light. And so the barrel tends to dominate uh, a, a corn spirit. Whereas with Westward, we have this very rich, very textural, a lot of mouthfeel, a lot of flavor from the malt and so forth. So it actually marries nicely with the new barrel. So it, it's a new charred, uh, typically uh, medium char. Uh, American white oak barrel, but but the barrel doesn't dominate it. It's a part. It's a nice integrated part of the flavor and the aroma. Where are you getting your barrels from? Um, well, most of them come from um, Gibbs Brothers in uh, what, Cuba, Missouri, or from um, uh, Kelvin Cooperage in uh, Louisville. The wood is coming from the Ozarks for the most part, Missouri and Arkansas. The Barrel, this next barrel though that we're going to taste came from um, uh, McGinnis Cooperage. So, in the sense that American single malt is a hybrid whiskey in, in a certain mm. way, it's a single malt mash bill, meaning same recipe that you would use for an Irish or a Scotch or a Japanese whiskey, but that charred oak barrel that's being used for the first time is distinctly an American tradition. It harkens much more to bourbon and rye whiskeys, which yeah. are usually a brand yeah. new charred oak barrel being used for the first time. Yeah, and it's, uh, m typically world malt whiskeys, you know, around the world, they use used bourbon they casks. They almost always use used bourbon casks, and they almost, and, and when they use, if they were to use a new uh, charred cask, they would typically get dominated by the barrel because most have much higher heads, much more reflux in their stills because they're not, making a delicious beer. They didn't start with a delicious beer. A lot of times when you go to these distillers and you do the, the tours, the distiller's beer, it's not the same kind of beer that you would get off the tap here at the yeah. front bar. It's much uh, lighter, yeastier, uh, kind of it's simpler sour. in its taste. Yeah, it's, it's a little, it can be more acidic. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you, I made the mistake when at the distillery of 
drinking a big glass of distiller's beer and then having to run to the bathroom yeah. almost immediately. Whereas at, at our distillery, hopefully you'll all come visit us at some point. We're in Portland, we're right in downtown. It's a great spot. We have tours, we're open to the public. We love to toast. But we, on our tours, we always drink beer off the, off the fermenters nice. because we like to show it off. And it's delicious. And it's delicious. So what is this second mark that Stephanie's passed around to everyone? So this is the first brand extension that we've done. Um, the core Westward um, has been out for you know, a number of years under a couple different labels uh, in its current packaging, maybe a little over two years, two and a half years. Um, then we just uh, are in the process of launching this um, stout cask finish. So the difference is, uh, so we, you know, we'll age the core westward for say four years. We'll dump, dump, you know, 10, 12 barrels to mingle them to, to bottle. We'll take those nice fresh, freshly dumped barrels, and we don't steam them. So there's a lot of there's like four gallons of of 67 percent whiskey, whiskey soaked into those staves, and we'll give them to our brewer friends because we have we we partner with 10 or 12 breweries around the state, uh, around the state of Oregon. Uh, and they will age their imperial stouts or their, you know, cocoa nib, you know, Baltic porters or yes. whatever. In Classic those, Northwesty beers. Yeah, rich, big, yeah, 10% like alcohol, but when they're done aging, they're like 13% good, good alcohol. Good weather beers. Yeah. Uh, they'll age them for 12 to 18 months. And um, the first time we did this was about huh, four or five years ago, and um, the, the brewery called us, you know, a year and a half later, and said, "Hey, you know, we just bottled the beer, and, and we don't have room for this barrel. What should we do with it? Should we just, you know, cut it into planters, or what? You know, we're like, no, let's get it back and let's let's play around with it. And we'd never done a, a you know, a barrel finish before, and thought, you know, we, you know, I." I you know, again, I'm not bashing Scotch or I love Scottish malt whiskey. I love Japanese, but we're not going to do a lot of experimenting with sherry casks or port casks because someone's already doing that. We want to use our local resources, our local, um, not just our local resources, but our local attitudes and our local, you know, it's, it's like this, the provenance of the Northwest, you know, it's the we're using the local grain. We're using the brewing culture. We're pairing with local breweries, and so there we're getting to impart some of the characteristic of their of their stouts in our whiskey. But it's not like we're just dumping whiskey or beer in the whiskey. It's the the beer has really, in the course of twelve to eighteen months, has really changed the character of the wood. It's changed the like the nature of the wood. And so when you taste this or smell it, you don't smell stout. You don't taste stout. You get a little chocolatey coffee finish, a little astringent of that like coffee astringency on the finish. But it's really just dried out the whiskey, whereas the core expression, the Westward American Single Malt, the black label, is, is very sweet, robust. It's like big, round flavors. Um, the stout finish is much more dry, much more structured. Uh, and has that sort of drier, almost astringent finish. So what do you guys get? Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What food words come to your mind as you smell this American single malt finished in a stout cask from Westward? Ooh, it is. I can tell on the, na on the nose it is drier. It's got an astringency that the other one doesn't. Get a little caramel. Caramel? What do you guys get back there? Say again? Cinnamon toast. To it. Cinnamon toast. Brilliant. Brilliant. Apple pie. Apple pie. Yeah. Nice, Karina. So there's definitely the, the type of oak that we're using um, has a nice baking spice. It has those, those are phenolic compounds, the uh, nutmeg and cinnamon and clove are all are these. It brings out the nuttiness a lot more, the chocolate in it, that hazelnut note comes through even more from that stout. It like adds that basiness, a, co a little coffee comes through more strongly. That's it's brilliant. like uh, the in, it's like the the dust on the inside of like a nut package or something. <laughs> nice, unless you're allergic. Yeah, <laughs> and you wouldn't know what that was. <laughs> Be like, oh, you know what that tastes like? No, uh, I need my EpiPen. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
It's not funny. So not funny. Oh my god. Uh, it's funny, it's okay. I've got enough, you can. We're good. No, I've got oh, two. Good, good. All right, all right. There are no nuts in this whiskey, just for the record, all right? Yeah. Nothing to be worried about. She's like searching to make, do I have my EpiPen? <laughs> no, it's okay. It's the bees I'm worried about. The nuts are fine. Okay. We're we're pretty cool with the bees at this point, I think. Yeah. The only buzzing going on is in your head. <laughs> right? Uh, but I really like this one a lot. What's the bottle price? Brooke, if I was going to get a bottle of this Stout Cask Westward at my local liquor store, say K&L. Well, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet? It's When's not, it coming? A couple weeks. When is it coming? Next week. <laughs> Next week. Uh, it'll probably be around 90. So we're launching it, so to speak. We're having yeah. like a double launch party yeah. tonight. That's crazy. And I'm, I'm a Northwest kid. I grew up in the Eugene Springfield area. I grew up playing in a punk rock band that was basically, we played for free. It was at that time yeah. and that, um, in, in Oregon at that time, the microbrew thing was so big that like our local bar where my punk rock band Birdie Joe would play, John Henry's, we'd play there every week and they basically would pay us in beer and I'll uh -huh. let you guys know we were extremely well paid. Uh, <laughs> Which means we drank a lot of microbrews, yeah. a lot of different types. And uh, so when we met and we're talking about like doing a collaboration, I mean, my folks live outside of Portland in, in Troutdale, and as they get older, I try to make it up there more and more. And I was like, it would be great to be able to kind of like do the whiskey business and the family business all at the same time. So we talked about making a whiskey together, and and I came out and came out to you and Christine's. Little log, log cabin, cabin yeah. on the river, yeah. and we stayed up drinking a bunch. We we hit a liquor store in Portland, and stayed up really late and tasted through a bunch of different as bourbons as we do, a bunch of different single barrels. Because we were already buying single barrels at that time here at Seven Grand, which a lot of bars weren't doing at that time. Um, so we sampled some different single barrel bourbons. Um, and talked about what kind of flavor profile. What we had talked about, again, is that idea of Northwest Providence, trying to find an ingredient that was specifically inherent to the Northwest. So a malted barley from the Northwest. Yeah. And I, being a rye whiskey lover, you indulged me and said, I think I can get some malted rye. Yeah, so, yeah. so we used malted rye, not, not the typical green rye that you would use for a rye whiskey. And that's a lot more expensive to get. Yeah, let's talk about. Let's talk about malting. <laughs> yeah. So when you malt something, you you yeah. wet the grain. Yeah. You get it to sprout. You trick it. You trick it. You you know you you're kind of you're a little bit mean. You you trick the plant into sprouting. So it's just like has anyone made sprouts at home? Like sprouted. Mm -hmm. Seeds. Come on, hippies, don't be afraid. She's <laughs> yeah. like, I've got alfalfa, I've got radish, I've got... Right. So, as you know, you know, you get a different product. The sprouts, I mean, you're not adding anything but water, right? You know, it's just the seed and water, and, but that sprouted seed tastes nothing like the unsprouted seed. Because the plant, once it wakes up, once it breaks dormancy and, and becomes a vegetative plant, it's, it's starting to produce all, it's, you're starting this biochemical process that's changing, it's creating all these enzymes and breaking down some things and generating new flavor compounds. And so that's really what malting is. So a, a barley or rye seed, a green seed out of, you know, out of the field, you know, well, that'll break your teeth. You know, it's got this, you know, if you've tried to eat pearl barley, you know, it's, it's got, got this. It's got a strong husk on the outside. It's got a husk, but it's also got a, a crystalline protein structure inside to, that's protecting the starch granules in the endosperm. And so that's no good. It does that because it, it's protecting itself for the winter. It's like, okay, we've got to overwinter. So we've got to build up these defenses and build these casings around ourselves. So we then come in, the maltsters, I should say, not we, but the maltsters come in and they basically simulate spring. They soak the barley or rye in water. It takes about, uh, about a day and a half to two days. Uh, the raw barley, the green barley is about 10% uh, moisture. They uh, soak it 
uh, once it gets up to about 28% moisture, it breaks dormancy. And so the plant suddenly becomes vegetative and it starts all these bio, it's like becomes alive again. Uh, and uh, they continue to soak and drain and soak and drain until it gets up to about 42% moisture. And it'll, at that point, it starts to throw the little, little tiny bud off the butt end of it, which is going to be the first um, root, uh, the root bundle. And then at that point, you load it into your jar, your sprout. That's when you load it into your sprout jar, right? So the, for the first day, you're just soaking your, your seeds in your sprout jar, right? Which is what they do. And then there's, there's a few of us here that know what right? you're talking about. Right? And then you drain that off and you're rinsing it and draining it, rinsing it, draining it. You're adding some citric acid to kill the bacteria, right? And then, uh, then uh, once it starts to just sprout, you quit adding all that water. You keep it moist as the rootlets grow. So that's the next, that's germination. That's the germination phase. So that for barley lasts about four days. Uh, once, uh, once that acrospire, which is going to be the first shoot, uh, reaches uh, roughly 100%, 75% to 100% of the length of the seed, that's fully modified. You take it, that's usually four days, you take it and you uh, kill it. Uh, and you kill it by, uh, with a very dry, warm air so that you kill it you with desiccate a blow dryer it. you kill it with a blow dryer you desiccate it but you take it down from you know 42 44 percent moisture down once it hits about 20 percent moisture it's dead uh, and then you can start applying heat and this is where it gets fun because um, at temper high temperatures with water um, proteins and sugars interact in very interesting ways to produce a new class of chemicals called melanoidins. You've probably heard this term. Those are those flavor compounds. Those are the nutty, biscuity, that's toast. So when you toast bread, the, that toast flavor, that's a melanoidin, that's an antioxidant. The beer, the, any, all those beer flavors, those are, the flavor in beer is melanoidins. They're antioxidant, uh, they're the effect of proteins and sugars interacting at high temperature in water. And the higher the temperature and the longer you do this, the darker it gets and the more complex flavors. So if you roast it at a high temperature for a long time, it turns black. You get that coffee, chocolate. They, they'll call that coffee malt. Yeah. Or when you go to the brew stores in Portland, when yeah. I was last up yeah. there, when we actually proofed down this whiskey, I went to one of these awesome beer stores and tried their coffee malt and their chocolate malt. And there's no coffee or malt in those malted barleys. It's just different roast levels, essentially, of, of the grain. But they have the same melanoidins that give coffee and chocolate its flavor. Wow, this is really good. It is really good. Let's talk about well, it. Let's so, talk so, about so malt. Just briefly, so that's what malt is. Malt is the, is the, is the European tradition for how to, get, turn, how to turn grain into beer, whereas the, uh, the Asian tradition is to use a mold, this aspergillus mold. Um, one way or another, you've got to break down the starch into sugars. We do it in the, in the malting, uh, whereas with like sake or shochu, they do it by adding this, this mold, this koji, 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 that is an exogenous enzyme that goes out and breaks down the starches so that the Same yeast. thing if you add tempeh, hippies, mm -hmm. hippies, yeah, yeah, tempeh, <laughs> same so stuff. That, so that breaks down the sugar, the, the starch, because starch is just a whole bunch of sugar stacked together, breaks down the starch into sugar so that the yeast can go to town on it. That's and malting. That's malting. And so we had talked, we stayed up late, we talked about Let's make a new weird whiskey that no one's yeah. ever made before. And so we decided on a mash bill that was 70% malted barley. 75% malted barley, 25% malted rye. Anyway, it's so malting provides really, like I said about sprouts, like the sprout is different than the seed. So by malting that, that rye seed, it creates a whole new set of flavors that you don't get out of unmalted rye. So this isn't going to taste exactly like a rye whiskey because the rye has been malted. Yes, a lot more complexity in that sprouted grain. Uh, 
those enzymes provide more variance of flavor in the fermentation process. Which, mm -hmm. speaking at that time, you guys were very small, mm -hmm. and still in the larger sense compared to like Jim Beam or somebody, you guys still are very small. Oh yeah, tiny. Um, but it's big. we had we we worked with the local brewery Alameda uh -huh. Brewing. Alameda Brewing, yeah. And we took your little flatbed truck. Yeah. Halfway big across flat bed a big flatbed truck. Come on, uh, don't sell it short. Uh, it's a beautiful truck. I, I like vintage trucks. But we went like just in the neighborhood, right? Yeah, it was yeah. right down the street. Like a, it was like a mile and a half. And picked up a cube of this picked beer. Up three cubes of that. Three beer. cubes of that beer. <laughs> I are you guys on the same page? We are. I was there. It was a long time ago. It was a. It was a fermenter. It was a fermenterful. It was one batch. Yeah. One batch. It was one batch. And and technically, like that kind of mashable for a beer, would you call that a red ale? That'd like, be a, ry a Rogan. Or, uh, yeah, rye, a rye beer. A rye beer. Yeah. So, so there are rye beers. Rye is notoriously difficult to work with as a brewer. It uh, forms a gel. It's just beta glucan. Beta glucan. Uh, it's a mess. And so usually a brewery won't go above 10% rye in their rye beer uh, in the mash bill because it forms just this horrible porridge and you can't separate the liquid from the grain. And but we went even, to 25. We went 25, very crazy. Um, but luckily, we didn't have to brew it, so <laughs> yeah. we didn't have to worry about that so much. That guy, that quit. That guy quit soon afterwards. Oh, <laughs> I hope we weren't the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but so a weird new whiskey, and this is a whiskey that is technically kind of its new its own category. I've never heard of American two malt before. So we couldn't so, call it single malt because single malt implies 100% malted barley. So what do you call it? It's all malt. So we called it two malts because it's a great name. And I spent, I was there for five days or yeah. so making yeah. The slept distillation on the room. Floor, right? I slept on the floor. I was a little hungover. I had to take a little nap. Well, I was still working. It's cool. The stills were under my charge. I was basically being kind of an apprentice for the day. Uh, for for the several week. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew Tice uh, was the master. He's He's still he's running this, the, he's the distillery the, like, manager directory so of operations. Okay. I don't know what his title is. I'm not at that time titles. he was kind of the distillery manager. He was the or? Dist I mean, we weren't that fancy. Right. He was the distillery. He was the guy who made the whiskey. Yeah. The one guy. And yeah. so I was like helping out by like cleaning out the hoses and pumping the beer uh -huh. into the still and yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and he, he came up after you and, and cleaned he it up. Made sure I didn't right, screw yeah. anything up totally <laughs> terribly. Um, but this is it, seven years later. Yeah. And I remember, you know, as we were, as I was sleeping on the floor of the distillery watching the still run, that like, <laughs> wow, someday we might have this moment where we'd be in a whiskey society. At that time, I had just started hosting these events, and I was like, who knows? Maybe I'll be able to share this with people at a whiskey society someday. And here we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cheers. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with this. I mean, uh, Pedro also had the foresight to say, oh, hey, you know what? Um, I think that this is going to take longer to mature, so let's put it in used barrels instead of new. So this went into, uh, uh, you know, it was a, uh, into a used, used westward, which were from our original from um, uh, Gibbs, or McGinnis. Um, that Cooperage. Okay. And uh, um, so we filled one and a half barrels, I think, we got out That's of this. That's right. And we had to reinvigorate those barrels. I learned how to we do that. To, we had to soak them because they had so gotten a little dried, dried out. Dried out, yeah. So I learned how to reinvigorate a yeah. barrel. That was great education as well. How do you reinvigorate them? Uh, Hot water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could use whiskey. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. You just have to basically get that wood wet enough that it expands to hold liquid once again. And mm -hmm. they also, in the Cooper, just sometimes use a little uh, little straw in between the stills or uh, in between the, um, staves, the yeah. staves. And then sometimes even a little paraffin, like food grade wax, to plug up a little hole. Yeah, if you That's get a little, little hole. Tiny, tiny yeah. hole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we made this crazy whiskey out of this rye beer. And, but this is the really interesting part, because seven years later, we were doing, so just this last summer, we were tasting together. I came up to visit the folks, and we were trying to figure out what proof, because th that's an important part of the whole 
whiskey process that I didn't have that much knowledge about, and that is bringing a whiskey down to proof has a lot of effect on the final flavor profile. It's like, to put that, to wrap your head around that, the idea that like, say this whiskey coming out of the barrel tastes like cherries and chocolate, but it's 145 proof. By adding water to it to bring it down to the proof that you want to bottle it at, it doesn't just get more diluted versions of cherries and chocolate by no means. Fact, it, actually it actually takes actually on increases here. Or yeah. it, it can kind of take or a crazy zigzag. It changes. It, changes. Yeah, yeah. it can kind of like go into a cardboardy taste <laughs> or go into a real cereally world or it'll vary in the fruits. It, you're basically by adding water, you're breaking it apart on a molecular level and kind of completely disassembling the the flavor profile to a certain degree. Yeah. Right? It does, yeah, it's not sure. a straight line. It kind of right. yeah. goes all I over mean, the place. I mean, I think the, the base for those of you who are science-y, um, <laughs> some compounds are soluble in um, alcohol and are not soluble in water. So as you add water, you're increasing the water concentration and driving some of those things, some of those compounds that were soluble in alcohol out of solution or tending to, and that's the bringing out the nose. That's what that means, is you're adding water that changes the solubility of some of the flavor compounds, in a nutshell. <laughs> so stick your nose in this glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. This might be the first time you've ever tasted American two malt whiskey. <laughs> I bet it is. <laughs> so what does that mean? Tell us what that means to you. What does American two malt whiskey from Westward taste like to you? Everyone's taste is different. No wrong answers. Delicious. Delicious. Not chocolate. Dark chocolate. Okay. Yeah, you don't get as much caramel. You don't get the caramel, the, the oak. Uh, I get a ton of nectarine. Nectarine, wow. Yeah, I get an intense fruitiness. Yeah. It's really, really fruity to me on the nose, and it's got that dark chocolatiness to it. So, and this is a, so on the proof. What's the proof on this? 111. So, so 55.5. Yeah. You might want to put just a couple drops as you're enjoying, once you're like used to the flavor, once you've really explored it. Maybe put a couple drops of water in there. But see, this is something we did. We sat down at the table and we kept adding a drop, adding a drop, trying to get it down to the right proof because I think it was coming out of the barrel around 125. But you'll notice that you know, in the whiskey world, they kind of did these clusters of where the flavor profiles mm -hmm. yeah. end up. Like there's a lot of whiskeys that are around 114 proof uh -huh. and 110 proof, but there's not a lot of whiskeys that are around 117, 118, 119 proof. Why is that? Why are those things? And that's just the mystery of it all. It's like the way that those <laughs> yeah. molecules fit right. together. It's magic. It's I, that's what I love about this. You know, uh, between brewing and distilling, I've been at this for like 28 years. Plus home brewing for years. You know, like fairly educated home brewing for years before that. And it's there's a ton of magic, and I just <laughs> love that. There's like, so we tasted it down to 111. Decided that we were going that. 111 is what we wanted. We wanted something that was strong enough that it really pushed that flavor profile forward, um, but also balanced enough that it just totally didn't set your nose on fire. What do you guys think of that 111 proof American two malt? Yeah. All right, all right. Wow, wow, what yeah, an experience. Cheers. Well, cheers. Yeah, was, uh, and cheers to really all of fun. you guys. Thank you for supporting and coming out for Whiskey Society tonight. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, really malty, Good. really chocolatey. Yeah. Nice little spice. Not as spicy like in the same way that most rye whiskeys are. Yeah. Really wonderful. And so do you have any other creative? A more floral. Definitely floral more spicing, floral, more yeah. fruity. Mm -hmm. What kind of things do you guys have coming down the horizon? Are you guys expanding oh, your, your whiskey mash bills oh, or yeah. anything like that? We're, I mean, we're filling 1,200 barrels a year. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. I mean, That's right. we do a lot of the same thing. So we, I was talking earlier about our yeast strain. Yeah, maybe 80% of what we use, 80% of the batches we ferment with the uh, Chico strain, the uh, Sierra Nevada strain, but we use, um, we've used, you know, Belgian Saison yeast, we've used Belgian Abbey yeasts, we've used Scottish ale yeasts. One time, um, I was sitting around with a buddy of mine, drinking as one does, uh, as one and does. he is a um, 
he is a, uh, some of these, those are the best ideas come around when we're <laughs> sitting around drinking whiskey. So drinking whiskey, a friend of mine is, um, uh, is a baker up in, in Portland. He has a very, um, very nice, uh, you know, French bakery, makes sourdoughs. He was like, can you make whiskey from sourdough starter? It's like, yeah, I don't see why not. So, um, uh, so he gave us a little, uh, you know, a little bit of his Levan, and we, like I mentioned, we have a, a yeast propagator, so we brought it up to a, you know, initially a 15-gallon batch for our little 15-gallon test still, and we, you know, fermented out 15 gallons of beer, and it was disgusting. <laughs> uh, and good we bread like, doesn't necessarily mean good whiskey. And we were like, well, should we just dump this? And we we're like, I don't know. We've gone to this so it'll work. It, you know, let's go ahead and we might as well just run it through the still. And it was beautiful. These big tropical, like mango and passion fruit flavors coming out of it. Um, and so we were like, screw it. Let's do a full size batch. Um, it took a long time to ferment. It was really interesting. It took, oh God, 20 days to ferment. But in that time, it just produced all these crazy esters. Um, we, you know, then double pot distilled it, put it in barrels, kind of forgot about it for uh, um, about a year and a half, or no, about a year, and we decided to taste it. And at a year, usually things are really terrible. Usually, so. Whiskey, brandy, whatever, when you put it in the barrel, usually, you know, like the, the new make can taste kind of nice. It's kind of like an eau de vie. Like, you know, I kind of jokingly refer to our new make as barley eau de vie because it's really, you know, fruity and, and kind of pretty. But you put it in the barrel, and after about six months, it, it's just gone to hell. You know, it just like it goes down before it comes back up. And so, it was quite a surprise to taste this uh, this sourdough after less than a year, and it was like pretty interesting. And um, and then uh, now, at like just over two years, it's fantastic. We're probably going to bottle like the youngest whiskey we've ever bottled at you know two years because it's it's great. We want to show it off. Wow, that's great. Uh, and we did another batch of that, so we've got about eight barrels of that. Well, right on. Well. Cheers to new experimentation. Yes. Thank you for coming down tonight, Christian. Let's give it up for Thank Christian Parkside. Yeah. Western Whiskey. Thank you. Be sure to look for some of these new experiments coming down the road, and, uh, and maybe we can launch some more of them here I hope in so. the Bar Jack. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember.